You're listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast, episode 25. Welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Hey everybody, welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm David Michael and I am hanging with a whole crew of people tonight. We've got a, a whole panel kind of doing a roundtable discussion today. I came over to visit uh, Tony and Billy of Three Dimensional Entertainment. We had uh, a handful of episodes ago on the interview and they're both with us today. And uh, we've got Trip Turlington. Trip, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Glad to uh, have you on board. I think uh, Trip and Tony both are going to be joining us for several up, several episodes at least going into the future. And we've also got Kyle, who I like to call over anything, over raves, over shaves, over waves. It's <laughs> <laughs> so over waves. And uh, we've we've been having a powwow here for a couple of hours, just uh, talking about various uh, things here in the the local scene. And uh, we just we had actually this started as a uh, it was a double booking. We were trying to record a podcast episode tonight and realized that we'd planned this other meeting on the same date. And we said, "Screw it, let's just do it all at once." So, Trip, I wanted to thank you for being here, man. I know you've had a long day. Trip's a new dad, so congrats. Thank you, thank you. So uh, we just we witnessed uh, kind of some craziness, or at least the tail end of some craziness here with with three dimensional, and uh, so they're they're bringing a legend here to town on Saturday, Josh Wink, and we're, we've all been excited about this show for months, and I get a, a panicked phone call the other day from Tony saying that the, there was a problem with the venue and they weren't going to be able to use it and. So we kind of we saw the tail end of this this damage control that uh, all these people just kind of came out of the woodwork and just handled all this stuff to to make sure that the venue could trans or could be transitioned to another venue and and everything will still run smoothly and it looks like it's it's really going to work out and I think I'd I'd like to ask you guys like what 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 was it Tony and Billy that when you first got the the notification or the message that you, your venue that you're going to use in what three or four days or however long it was, you can no longer use it. Uh, what what do you do? Uh, obviously panic, but but then what? I mean, did you did you make phone calls? Did you did you what what was what was your first course of action? Obviously, the first course was panic, like you said. Um, but I just reached into you know the network of people that. That I know around the city. Um, the only person I know that could f- facilitate this event would have been Luke, which owns Mask. You know, putting Josh Wink in some of these other venues would never be possible without the production, and Mask has all that stuff. So um, I hit Luke up, and not thinking that he was even entertaining the idea because it's a Saturday night, it's his big night. Yeah, I think we've mentioned Mask on the podcast before. Maybe last time you guys were on, where we we talked about this kind of the this really the only club like that within I don't even know hundred mile radius. Yeah, I mean, easily hundred uh, yeah. big function one professional sound system. I just uh, I don't even know how much money they've gotten lights. Sixteen lasers. Yeah, yeah, sixteen lasers uh, and lights. I would say a million, maybe more. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a pretty crazy place for for Dayton, Ohio, and and so it really ended up working out. I mean, I said it's it's cool. Uh, we're going to mask, and we're like, oh, sweet. So, 
Um, Did we, you call him straight away, or or what? Well, we what was... thought about it first. We thought about all of our scenarios. Um, you know, we thought about therapy. We thought about one of the other venues we used to use, the Rockstar Arena, weighing out all of our pros and cons. You know, Mask was definitely in that equation, but in you know, a- again, in my mind, like not thinking that we were going to be able to use it because it was a, it's a Saturday night. Um, <clears throat> but we weighed out all of our pros and cons and. Rockstar said, you know, they were available. We could use that if we wanted. And, you know, Luke entertained the idea. It worked out. And now, you know, the money that we normally pay to transform a room, the lights and the sound companies and stuff that we bring in, you know, that's a lot of money that we're saving in the show cost. And being able to move it to this venue with this elite of a light show and sound system is the best possible scenario we could have ended up with. So I, I saw, you know, a whole a whole group. Uh, how many would you say? Ten people were here, or so yeah. um, an hour or so ago, yeah. and at at least half of them were working on that particular issue. While all the other things that we're talking about during the meeting are going on, we're all, you know, half of us are working. Okay, we got to write a new event description. This person's working on a graphic. This person's working on social media, working. and all this stuff just bam, 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 like clockwork. What I mean, how do you make that happen? Like, where, how did how did you get that well-oiled machine? Because any if that had happened to me, I I mean I would panic and then not know what to do. I mean I've got I've got a support network, but I mean it, I've never had that to where you could make a couple phone calls and it's it's fine because every I mean it was amazing to just see everybody come out of the woodwork. And uh, I I know Trips had some experience with this too with with event planning I'm sure and and arbitrage and. Yeah, it, what it all boils down to is surrounding yourself with good people that are down for the collective. So, like, you know, re- regardless if it's 3DM or In the Groove or Collective Intelligence or Passionate DJ or, you know, the, the mark of a good crew are the people that make it up. For and, sure. uh, you know, so while you have the, the people who are, you know, the front men for it, you know, there's there's got to be a good team behind, you know, those uh, behind those faces to make everything work. I agree 100 percent without without the, the, the individuals that you've seen in this room. And there, I mean, it was a minus a few, but those people basically make us, you know, like we we are the front men. We are the face and the name that's attached to three dimensional. But. Ned, never at any point in time will I ever say that Tony and I run this together, just me and him, because without all the individuals that were involved tonight, through this thing wouldn't be what it is. And having those good-hearted, good-character individuals around you is what builds you. You know, the, the company should be a reflection of the men that are a part of it, and I feel like three-dimensional is that. Yeah, it was, it was really cool to, to be a part of the scene in Dayton right now in, in particular because it's... It, it is a very small market and I, it helps with, you know, with this show because I, I have a perfect example of a lot of the stuff that we talk about on Passionate DJ as far as um, positive interaction and building a fan base and networking and, and kind of the support network that you have to build to make sure that a small scene like ours can survive. And, uh, you know, you guys are, are right at the forefront of that here in our town and... 
I get to see this stuff happen and then I get to come on here and talk about it. You know, it's like, it's really cool. It's literally happening as we're recording a podcast episode. You guys are like, I have cell phones are flying around everywhere. Hold on. I got to fix this, fix that. Boom, boom, boom. And it all just happened. And, and it was fine. Nobody's really stressing about it. I'm sure you did. Absolutely. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we handled the majority of the, all the, the majority of the legwork between the agencies the venues and all that Tony handled and coordinated with the with all that. Tony's definitely the businessman of us both, and he's good at making those making those contacts and making those adjustments. Talking to people on on that kind of level, much better than I am, that's for sure. And that's what it really boils down to. When you've got you know you know when you've got good front men, you know people who who know how everything works. And so the the panic hits hits us all. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it, it, you know, uh, I've I've been through it. You know, a hundred times. Tony's been through it a hundred times. You know, over the years that every event, no event has ever, 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 ever gone one hundred percent the way it was planned, smooth <laughs> as silk. It has never happened. I guarantee it. Something always goes wrong. Somebody always forgets something. It just happens. The event doesn't care what your plan is. That's right. That's right. So, you know, what it boils down to is, do you have your plan B? Do you have your plan C? Do you have any kind of backup? Or, do you know, at the very least, you know, do you have, you know, doors open and, and other choices? Because there have been, you know, events, you know, in our region that, you know, as you mentioned, it's a, it's, it is a small market. And I mean, even Cincinnati, is a little bit bigger, but not by much. I mean, there for several years, I mean, well over a decade, we were all kind of lumped in together, you know, Dayton and Cincinnati. Mm. And if you go back far enough, even Columbus, we were all just Southwest Ohio, you know, so, and I can't tell you how many events just did not happen. You know, there were, there were flights paid for, there were, you know, places booked and all of it, you know, lineups all made. When Tony first said, the vi- we can't use the venue on Saturday. Like that, the first thing that popped in my head was the show's over. Right. No, like right. I mean, that was just my assumption. Like, oh crap, the show. Now what? Now they're gonna have to do a makeup show, and it's gonna be a whole thing. I have to do all this damage control and make their fans happy. Right. And and man, it was just handled. Well, like, where, sound, where do you hate to sound cliche, but the show must go on. Indeed. Right? I mean, yeah. Period. I mean, and it and it's not over until you don't have somebody that will let you do your show. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, b- bottom line, that's what it boils down to. And to Billy's point, I mean, yeah, I mean, Tony's Tony's really good at, you know, uh, the business aspect of that. He knows the right people and can make a few phone calls and at least, you know, get the right people right. on the line. He shakes, he shakes the right trees. For right, sure. right. Like one of the, one of the things that you guys had to do was make lineup adjustments. Yes. Right. Yes. How did that go? Um, I, uh, speaking from the personal side of things, I, I'm friends with the guys that run the production, lighting production for us. I feel like over the last year, I've really connected with these individuals and to make that phone call on such short notice to people that you're not only doing business with, but you consider to be friends and telling them, you know, like, yo, I I have to cancel. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to give it it just a quick backstory. So the original (laughs) venue was like a big empty warehouse and, uh, Tony and Billy were going to bring in a big lighting production to to deck out the place. And Mask already has a multi-million dollar lighting rig and nowhere to put that stuff. 
So yes. you, you had to cancel on the lighting guys who were counting on. Yeah, being basically hired. counting on the bread. You know, yeah. they're just, they are two individuals just like ourselves. They're, they are ex Marines. They did two tours in overseas. You know, like they're just individuals making a living like you and I or like anyone else. And they rely on booking shows on the weekend, running their production to live their lives on a daily basis. And to cancel on your friends and then mess with your friend's money, you know what I'm saying? And then have them tell you like, yo, this is messing with my money, which is messing with my livelihood. That's not a good feeling. That's not something you want to deal with every day. Hmm. But hey, I mean, it did come through and those guys got my back and I know that. And to have people with a solid support staff, that's good stuff. I just, I felt like when you started having to, having to make changes to the lineup and changes to who you're hiring for production all that stuff i immediately my head went to oh man this this is gonna be a wreck (laughs) because the egomaniac dj is like it's a common thing right Mm, like we 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 all know that guy right i used to be that guy (laughs) like if i'm gonna be honest i mean like you know i mean and and part of that was my age part of that was you know just circumstances part of it was just things you accomplish uh, right like you know i mean it's just you know i think you know it's, everybody like kind of being... goes through an evolution when it comes to that and some people don't ever get past a certain stage <clears throat> and we all know you know somebody in the scene who's like that you know mm-hmm. and it's just because they've never had the opportunity or never had a reason to get past that i am the shit you know stage. when you already feel like i i'm sure you already feel like you know it's like being standing in a room full of your family members and being told to pick one to shoot i mean it's like <laughs> you don't you don't want to cut anybody you're not trying to offend anybody and it's not we're not taking this person adjusting this person's time or making right, this person right. tag because they're any better or worse than anybody else right. you just got it the show must go on you right. know and, and and you know so i mean when i got that call you know hey we got to make some adjustments all right, well, what are the adjustments? You know, tell me, you know, and, and these guys both know that, that that I am completely approachable when it comes to that stuff. Just lay it out there on the line. Okay, well, whatever whatever needs to happen, then that's what needs to happen. As a DJ, you're saying. Right, right, as a DJ, yeah, yeah. So when I got the call, hey, will you tag with BitFlip? Uh, yeah, why wouldn't I? Like, he's a great DJ, and, you know, we both get along, and, you know, uh, he and I have a great relationship over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. Whereas there are people out there and I mean, and I'm not thinking of anybody off the top of my head or, or trying to imply anything, but there are people out there that would be like, they, they would either rather not play or mm-hmm. they would, you know, give both these guys an earful until one of them either gave in or it ended, you know, oh, and, and a, put them on blast on social media and, right, and, and right, all the whole right. thing. You know, we're talking about uh, throwing shows back in the day versus now. Mm-hmm. Um, you, because of the state of the scene back then, you did throw larger, larger shows. Um, eventually, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at the end, end of the '90s, were they were they pretty big, or when yeah. when were your really big shows that I you was guys? Gonna, I would say, uh, uh, well, the, the the biggest show that I I threw was when I was with uh, Collective Intelligence. Uh, Metamorphosis 2000. I think uh, we pulled somewhere to the tune of 4,000. That's an insane turnout now. Yeah. Like if if we have 4,000 people on Saturday for Wink, like we're all gonna be. <laughs> I'll dance a jig across the front of the stage at Mass. We're like, okay, some you did something wrong because <laughs> this is way bigger than we thought it was gonna be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like so, 
Um, One of the big. What has changed? Why is it so hard to get that crowd, at least in Dayton and places like Dayton? Well, the the we used to have a saying. I don't know if it still holds true anymore, but the average lifespan of a raver was two years. Mm. You know, so like you, but for whatever reason, we were able to keep regenerating. You know, through the '90s and into early early 2000s, like right after two. You know, that's because every weekend there's a. 8,000, 2,000 person event. Well, exactly. So, like, but because there were those events, we all had the money that we were able to, you know, pull, you know, three, four, sometimes five headliners, two or three of which could be international. You Mm -hmm. know, it just depended on what all was going on. And, you know, so when you've got that much and all of that interest, you know, then, you know, it it, it was easy to pull Mm -hmm. 1,000 or 2,000 people with, 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 with very little effort you, you could do you were also oh, i'm sorry go, go ahead. ahead go ahead you, go you ahead. were also booking those those talented artists that he's speaking of you were booking for 500 or a thousand or two thousand dollars those artists cost you ten thousand fifteen thousand dollars now so that your 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 scale has shrunk because your prices went through the roof and then you're i also feel like the the shows now like a raves in the '90s and 2000s were multi-genre events with multiple stages, and every DJ worked together with each other. This DJ supported that DJ, even though it was drum and bass and techno, and they all played the same events. Now all the events I feel like are genre specific. You either have an all house night, or you have an all drum and bass night, or you have a dub night. You know that's so. I feel like that's kind of split the scene apart more than brought it together. It's interesting that you brought up the money thing because that, that's that's kind of a different angle than than a lot of people will take on that. Well, remember it's different money. Not to cut you D- well, off, but it's different money. You know, back then we were you know we were all DIY. You know, yeah. no matter how big we got, you know, locally or in our region or whatever, like no matter how many people we had coming in those doors, no matter how many trash bags of money we were pulling out of out of these shows. At the end of the day, we were still DIY. We had no corporate backing. If we had any at all, you know, it was like, you know, mix bag that was like, you know, willing to, you know, maybe print print off a couple thousand flyers for us or something like that. Yeah, but we yeah. had to like hand out their magazine at the door, you know, things like that. But like we didn't have the corporate infusion of, you know not to call out any names but you know like ex you know uh excision with the executioner 250,000 watts of sound and this big robotic thing yeah. on a stage which is pretty cool but we didn't have that yeah. like you know it was those things didn't even exist right right they didn't right. even exist so is is the bar being set too high is that why it's harder to get not not the price bar necessarily, but like what people expect out of out of production because the, like you guys came out of out of a dirty grimy rave scene, you know what I mean? Like that was that was some warehouse stuff happening. Oh yeah, if you weren't blowing black boogers by the end of the night, there was something wrong. <laughs> rave right. boogers, but it's the festival. So, but it was it's the festival. The yeah. festivals festival. is what crushed the small scene, the right. small mm-hmm. local scene. And I mean, these kids see these, you know. But it also helped birth it. I feel. Sure, but it, it crushed the show. Absolutely. For you to be able to do a mediocre show, because these kids go to these festivals, they you know like they see yeah. million dollar production 
that they and they have to save up, you know, for months or weeks or however long, you know, depending on their personal well, income, and, and they have to save up for these, you know, three, four, five hundred dollar, you know, entries and uh, you know. Well, uh, they look at it as you get three. You're getting three days of exposure to music instead of one night, right? You know, and that's a big that that to me that's a big pull because that's what draws me to the festivals. It's like, oh, I got three days of music, got like 10, 15 artists that I want to see, so I'm definitely going there. Instead of a, a rave for the night where there's 10 artists total, maybe two of which I'm like highly anticipating to see. Tony, you've played a few festival environments. What, what do you think of playing to that crowd? To I'd rather play in a small room with 50 people. Really? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's great to, to, to play in front of that many people, um, but... I just don't feel like the vibe is all the way there, you know, the togetherness, um, not like a, a small room. You feel like they're there for a different reason? Like yeah. the, those kids are, the, are not the there thing. for the same reason that you... It's a party. It's a cool thing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I think it's, it's 70% music, 30% hey, let's party. Hmm. Yeah. It's not as much about the music now, I, I feel. I mean, is... Is the that passionate underground like is that smaller now, or it, it does that have trouble surviving for some other reason? Does anybody have any ideas on that? Do you, do you see what I'm I trying to say? Like I think it's struggling more in the states, overseas. Yeah. No, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. overseas it's it's way bigger than our EDM is here. Yeah, and it always has been. I mean, to yeah. be perfectly honest on that. But yeah, I mean, you go to England and. That's where drum and bass, you know, at, you know, had its birth. So, you know, you you can still go there. I mean, Hospital Records puts on crazy huge festivals of drum and bass. You try to do a huge drum and bass festival like that here, and you might get the same twenty five train spotters. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's not even yeah. very many people at a DMB fest. Maybe, right. maybe some of our. Uh... UK and other European uh, based listeners would want to leave a voicemail and, and chime in on uh, what they think about the state of the underground over there. Oh, I mean, it's especially the techno scene. I mean, the and and it, and is it different from the rape, you know the nineties yeah. rave scene? You know, yeah. like it is here. I mean, where it's just a noticeably different thing. I think we. Uh, I mean, and we can dance around it all day, but to put a definitive point on it, and not to get into any politics, but I, I think one of the the biggest issues that the american rave scene saw was in 2003 when they passed the rave act mm -hmm. and you know i i remember i mean because prior to that i djing was my job yeah. you know i slept until noon i went to rec you know three record stores a day and then hung out in coffee shops and you know it, just anywhere i mean i was basically a bum but i made enough money that that's I, that was my living. I I was a DJ. I traveled all over the place. You know, Detroit and Pittsburgh, Indy. You know, all over Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida. Played all over the place. And was I a huge established name? No, but I made enough to make a living off of it. Yeah. And after two thousand and three, all of a sudden, my booking prices. I was struggling. You know, because the events just weren't there anymore. The and, big, big, dirty R word. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. And, you know, so everything just came crumbling down around all of us. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I had to get a real job. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. and, and, and you adjust and, and you do what you got to do. But it's a little disheartening to me 
you know, to see, have seen what we had built and it all came crushing down. And therefore a period of what would you say? Five, six years. Like, I mean, it was nothing to, I mean, it, it was, it was known that if you're going to play out, you're most likely going to play to less than 50 people, maybe a couple hundred. If it's a really, you know, yeah. well put together event, you know, there, and it was not uncommon to play to an empty room some nights. You know, it, it just, it, it was what it was. And thankfully, retrospect, you know, thankfully dubstep came along and reinvigorated everything, but it brought with it corporate cash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that, that's, that's what's different about all of this is that, you know, corporate cash doesn't care about the authenticity of the underground attitude. Like what it cares about is turning a profit, you know? So yeah, we can, we can infuse as much cash as you want, but we want your Steve Aoki's and your Skrillex's and your, yeah, those huge names, you know, and keep the machine going. Not that, you know, there's anything wrong with the Aoki's or the Skrillex's or, or, or any of that stuff because that caters to people who didn't, know what we knew you know they either came in you know during the dubstep phase and and so this is what they know and there weren't it it, what we left wasn't big enough to say no this is how you do it and and that that kind of dubstep bringing bringing things back to to the spotlight that it's i would say probably mostly an american phenomenon Would, would you do you guys think that's true or as far as, as far as like uh, the UK didn't need dubstep, oh, yeah, to, no, you know what no, I mean? No, no. It didn't rejuvenate <laughs> like any like America did, right? Yeah, the UK and Europe and all that stuff. I mean, I've never been, so I, that's a disclaimer. But to uh, to the best of my knowledge, the way I understand it, uh, electronic music over there is pretty mainstream. Like you can find electronic music radio stations, and that's I mean that's what people listen to over there, and 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 it's and it's big and it's popular and it's you know there there's these huge festivals and that's you know so it's it's embraced over there and it's part of their culture. Whereas right now, you know, hmm. it, I don't know that EDM as as we define it today feels like it's part of American culture. Hmm. Like it feels like. Honestly, if I'm going to be blunt, it kind of feels like pop music. Yeah, you know that they're everything. Man. Yeah, everything's everything's got a formula, and we're gonna you know just basically it, you know it, it's disposable. Yeah. You know, as far as the industry, the music industry is concerned. So once they've gotten everything that they want out of it, well, then you know we're done. We're done. We wash our hands of it. Right, and then those of us that'll still be around when that's done will be still making tr- up the pieces. Right, still still doing what we've always done. Yeah. I feel bad for the kids now because I, they'll never experience a real rave, like an all-night party that didn't, <laughs> that didn't end until 8 a.m. And when it did end, the after-party started, and we partied for another day or two. And you know what I mean? Or start on Friday and party a rave in Indianapolis, Saturday a rave in Dayton, <laughs> you know, Sunday the after-party was in Cleveland, you know what I mean? Or yeah. something like that. Like, they'll never experience those kind of things. But... On top of that, they got these sweet ass festivals that we really never had when we were growing up, right. and that's that our raves were our festivals. So yeah. they get these dope festivals now that they traded them off for the raves that we had in the nineties and two thousands. Yeah, 
but it still sucks because I want them to experience a dirty, grimy warehouse <laughs> with puddle puddles everywhere and people just like losing their shit to happy hardcore. And, like, <laughs> those are experiences that they'll never get, but those are the experiences that I'll cherish forever growing up through the rave scene. Like experiencing that kind of shit was awful. And that's because of these guys right here. <laughs> I was going to these guys' events as a kid and didn't even know it. Didn't even know these guys. I had no idea who they were. About. Yep. <laughs> Kyle, you want to talk? You feeling talky? I'll chime in when I feel like I'm sorry, Mike. I'm going to pass the mic over to Kyle for a second. I don't have anything to say so. well, I, just, I just really wish I was there for that kind of stuff. You know? Well, that's what I kind of wanted to ask about. Like, yeah. so, so when did you start playing out? Like, at shows? About four and a half years ago. Okay. I've always been an electronic music fan. My mom had me on with, uh, like, uh, new wave and synth pop music back in the 90s. Yeah. And then from there, I started liking electronic, downloaded some programs from there. It was just, like, once I got into college, I just started doing it. And I got my start in dirty-ass basements, shitty bar basements. <laughs> and I, you know... So, when, I, when you... So, this would have been... What, 2011, 2011 yeah. or so? Okay, so Dubstep was doing things yeah. and, and the big EDM thing was starting to come around. It probably wasn't wasn't peaking yet, right? Do you think? Dubstep was blowing up right at then. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Roscoe was huge. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's oh, true. yeah. It was blowing up from overseas. Oh, yeah, I, would, I was playing so, dubstep at house parties and bar okay. shows and people were losing their minds. I would do it a year and a half later. No one would give a shit. So what did you think of of the scene, quote unquote? Like when you when you first started, I guess just going to shows, whether that's playing them or just attending. What what did you make of it? I think I liked it a little bit more than I do now. Like really, because some of the larger ones I'm going to, I mean, they try to say it's not a little mainstream here in America, but when I go there, there people are just like they said. They're more there about the parties, mm. less there about the music. And I'm always, I'm actually just going to a show to enjoy the show. I'm front row, yeah, like focused on the DJ, watching it, not there, just like. What about the state of this, the local scene, like Dayton or wherever you were at the time? Like, what um, what was it like? Because I, I remember what to so say. I've talked about it on a handful of times on the podcast. So I I got in the mid mid two thousands, and there was nothing happening here did you feel like it was a big scene do you feel or how do you feel now does it feel big or small or like what's i mean i felt how would you describe yeah, it mean, to somebody new well when i was i mean the first couple of years when i mean for the longest time i didn't, didn't know of anything going on i mean yeah. even though i was you know looking around on social media looking around at, i mean i've been constantly looking at music venue websites and in the newspaper since i was 16 just for shows so you were seeking any kind. It out. yeah i was seeking it out but i didn't know any of the stuff that was going on so once i found out through um therapy stuff the thing was going on i kind of actually you know found there was actually people here doing stuff and once they started you know doing 3dm stuff it was like oh wow now there's actually things happening here now other than therapy and uh so you you had basically found just a, a night basically to go to. yeah and and but there weren't yeah. any like the shows weren't really like, the big productions weren't happening never okay. saw them except for i mean i heard about uh the like life in color and uh whatever the so I just I find it interesting to get your perspective yeah. on that because I know like from when I got into it here, 
I guess Dayton scene probably seems way bigger and way more busy to me than it does to most of you guys that are sitting around here with me because of when you guys got into it. You know what I mean? It's this probably a drop in the bucket. It, it was not an issue to see a, a, at least a thousand people at a rave in Dayton, maybe eighteen hundred to two thousand, and it was a weekend. Twice it was twice a month, all the time. Yeah. And there was all it was. You were guaranteed a thousand people. Dayton had the most flourishing rave scene in the whole area. These people traveled from St. Louis, Indianapolis, Columbus, Cleveland, Florida, Tennessee. I mean, they were coming from everywhere because Dayton's rave scene was so awesome. And that is where we need to get back to. And that's what one thing that Tony and I want to see, you know, that's that that kind of scene again because we know it's possible. You know what's cool is... um we did a show. Well, PSG threw a show last month in Pittsburgh, and it was at it was at a movie studio where they filmed, you know, f- a few movies. I walked into this place. It looks like an old industrial warehouse. It holds easy ten thousand people. Um, they built a full complete bar, had beer trucks, everything. You know, the guys that do um, the SFX company. They they were the production company that came in. They do the Life and Color tour. Um, they used them for their staging, their light, their sound, and everything. But these guys went in and converted this warehouse into a show that Cascade played. You know, they had five thousand people, and it, to me, it was it's it's it was a legitimate rave. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was one headliner. It, it's concert. It's it's concert hours. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah. It started. Doors open at eight o'clock. Curfew is two o'clock sharp. It was it was done and over. But Cascade came in, Cascade played, and, you know, that one name alone brought 5,000 people into, you know, what I called a legitimate rave. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's mind-blowing. I haven't seen it in a long time, and it's because it jumped into the clubs, you know? Yeah, Every, yeah. Everything jumped into the clubs, and everybody was doing the club shows, and... So that Part of that was because of the the rave. The rave, that, well, yeah. Not to come back to that, but I mean, that, I was going to anyway. Yeah, I that's mean, that's exactly what happened. You, they pushed us out of all of the, you know, the ability to uh, to rent any kind of venue. I mean, the 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 language on it was so vague and and nonspecific that it was like, you know, any all venue ven- owners were scared. Yeah, all mm-hmm. venue owners were scared, and it was. I mean, it was something as simple as any venue or building where people gathered and there was repetitive music well mm. what like i mean that could be your church you know? I was living, when I was, you know when i was living in florida glow sticks um and this was in 99 um the vapor masks glow sticks That's all that stuff fires. was paraphernalia <laughs> Like if if, if yeah. you were in a venue or got caught with that stuff out, that's paraphernalia charge. Mm. Everything that had anything to do with an electronic music back then, they were trying to find any little way, shape, or form that they, they didn't could stop it. Yeah, and, and I mean, and local now area. that's what I'm saying. And now coming coming back now and seeing all this stuff going on in these legitimate venues, it all folds back to. To corporate cash right mm. because it was selective prosecution before all that cash came in so like mm. like literally they now quote-unquote companies are doing it it's a different story it's a different story now it's capitalism yeah. but you know it, it, it like i mean you haven't been to a rave until you've been put on the ground by the national guard you know like i mean and, and that shit happened i mean it was you know there was it was it was nothing for you know national guard or swat teams or whatever 
to catch you out in a cornfield out on 23 in Columbus, you know, (laughs) you know, and hey, you know, it it just is what it was and it is what it is now. But uh, so, I mean, do you think that uh, Tony, since you were talking about like you've kind of in in recent memory seen something that made you, you know, fondly remember the the rave scene and everything did do you think that that was a i mean was that a was that a unicorn or is that something that's coming back or that could come back um or was that uh you know flash in the pan is that had its time it's, it's going to be few and far between because to throw a show like that i, I don't know i can't even put a dollar amount on it but i will say it's well above and in the six figures to throw a show like that, to put something like that together, to have the staff, the security, the the production, the the barricades. Like I mean, those shows are very expensive. The headliners alone, you know, some of them are, you know, six, six figures. figures to book one. Well, it's probably more you know? expensive anyway to throw it when it's fully legit because then you have like the actual like full insurance coverage and all the we things that you need that maybe we, yeah. you know we'd spend 250 dollars and get a million dollar insurance policy for the night yeah. mm. that that wasn't the issue i mean it, it's we had that but just, i mean glad we never had to use it Amen. You know? <laughs> I mean, we, mike donovan and i were talking about that we put putting two thousand people in a warehouse for you know from 9 p.m to 9 a.m in places where people shouldn't even be <laughs> and nobody getting hurt you know we think our lucky stars that none of that ever took place like, yeah i can't imagine the nightmare that would come along with that yeah. i guess you kind of get a little bit of the corporate veil too if you you know if you're talking corporate cash but there's you can also kind of hide behind that um as you know if a big company's throwing a show then nobody has to claim response the direct responsibility of somebody falling off a speaker stack and <laughs> or whatever and now i mean well they figured a way to tax it all right, <laughs> you know right. now the companies that are throwing these shows pay their taxes and now that the man whoever he is gets his cut it's all good why did you stop throwing shows trip <laughs> I know you're dying to talk about this. I got to bring it. Why does promoting suck? Or why did it? Or why could it? Promoting didn't suck uh, when I was doing it um, a lot. There, there, part of it, part of it feeds that that little bit of ego that you've got. Hmm. You know, to say this is the community that I have and, and subculture that I've chosen to be a part of. It's the music I love. It's the people I love. It's, it's, it, 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 this is, you know, part of, I am part of this. So, you know, it, I want to, I want to contribute to that. I want to, you know, make something and, and have other people be a part of that. So there's some self gratification that happens in that. And of course, you know, when you look at it as being a business, you want to try to, you know, uh, turn a little bit of a profit. Yeah. You know, nobody ever got into raves, you know, or throwing raves anyway, trying to, you know, make a lot of money that that and if that's what they got into it for, they realized real quick that they weren't going to do it. So for me, I, I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. One with the people I worked with, uh, the very first crew I ever got with was collective intelligence out of, uh, Columbus. And that 
that crew has always operated more like a hive mind type of mm. thing. So like there, you know, there's a guy, his name's Walt Smith. He, you know, is still the head of collective intelligence, but he no, he doesn't do everything or anything on his own. Much like Tony and Billy, I found a guy that I, I meshed with and, and we complimented each other in, in almost every way. And we were able to throw, you know, some really killer shows. Um, and that guy is Naughty Groove, uh, for anybody hmm. locally listening. What's up, Jason? Um, so it was a lot of fun. What happened was it stopped being fun. Um, hmm. It wasn't even about losing money. Jason and I have had, had we've been throwing a show for, Christ, uh, 12, 13 years, maybe 14, 15, uh, the Into the Deep Boat Crew series. We've never made a dime on those. Like, never made a dime. And uh, short version is we get a bi-level party boat and we cruise up and down the Ohio River for four or five hours and, you know, get a bunch of, you know, DJs to play. And, you know... Just a we, sweet idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We And we usually average about, you know, 200 on a, on a, on a normal night and 400 on a good night. Those were always a blast, but it just got to a point where it just became too stressful. You know, you got, you know, you got to deal with everybody's egos when it comes to, you know, people that are DJing. You got to, you know, deal with all of the criticisms from, you know, the people that come and, and, uh, uh, and attend your shows. You got to deal with the criticisms of the people who don't come to your shows. You know, it's just. I never got that one. Right, right, <laughs> right. It, it all started to change for it, me. It, it felt it, too thankless? Or? Absolutely. Absolutely. And okay. I think that's that's one of the things that happens to a lot of promoters. The money's just not there, or all it takes is one bad show, and then that, that wipes out your bankroll. You know, mm. if you, I mean, we, Jason and I had that happen on more than one occasion. It, it, it does. It becomes very thankless, and when, when you when that starts damaging the reasons that you got into doing it in the first place. And that's when it's time to take a step back. You know, I, I love this scene. I love this music. I love all of that. So I took a step back from promoting and, uh, you know, focused more on writing music and DJing and playing out and stuff like that. Uh, and supporting the guys that have that love and, and, and are out there, you know, doing the good work as far as I'm concerned. So Billy is, is unique amongst us here in that he is a promoter who also like that is his entire stake in this. Like we, he's not a DJ or a producer. Like, so we all have these kind of other angles and like Billy's all in on promotion. So I would, I'd be interested in asking you, do you feel the same way about the Like, d does it ever feel thankless? If, yeah, let's bring the mic over to Billy. <coughs> this show's going to have a live show feel to it, guys. It's fine. <laughs> um, how, how do you keep from feeling that way, or do you ever feel that way? Do you agree or disagree with what Tripp's saying? I agree 100% with what Tripp said. Um, it becomes a grind, really. Mm. And it's a, like... It's tough because I'm not really a marketing guy. You know, I know I don't have a marketing background. I don't even have a college degree. I've, I've never taken a marketing class. I've never been part of, of anything to do with marketing. I passed out flyers for raves growing up. You know what I mean? I, I watched another company birth itself, and I passed out flyers for them, and I watched and examined. I've always been a fan of the music. And I told myself when I started throwing shows with Tony that if the 
the grind, the daily grind of throwing events and passing out flyers and being out and partying, if it ever started to affect me personally and the way I felt about going to shows and events, like I wouldn't go to an event just because I was wore out from mm-hmm. doing everything else that I've been doing to try to throw events, that I would step back, like Trip said, and just re-examine the whole situation. It hasn't got there yet. It's it, but it has been tough. It's it's definitely a struggle to deal with on a daily basis. You deal with egos, and you can't please this person, but you can please this person, or you got to choose between like your two of your friends, like making one of your friends happy or pissing your other friend off. Those are tough decisions that you have to make when you start throwing events and running a business. Well, hey guys, thanks so much for being on the show. So this thanks, is you guys, uh, Tony and Billy. You guys are uh, repeat guests now, officially. So <laughs> hey, welcome two back. Two times, man. Third yeah. time's a charm. Maybe I'll get it right one time. Yeah. Thanks, Kyle and Trip, for being on, and uh, let's let's do this again. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank thanks, you guys Joe. so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ with Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning. Thanks, guys. I wasn't really sure how to get that started, but I think after we had the train rolling, it was. Yeah, that's good. Some good talking there. Yeah. Just put some jack in me, dude. I'll ramble forever.